welcome to this episode of Disease Du Jour on the topic of parasite control in young horses. The Disease Du Jour podcast is brought to you in 2020 by Merck Animal Health. Our guest for this episode is Wendy Valla, VMD, a diplomate in the American College of Veterinary Internal Medicine. She's a senior technical services veterinarian with Merck Animal Health. Dr. Valla spent 25 years in private practice and in academia before joining Merck in 2004. Her special interests are in equine neonatology and perinatology. Thank you, Dr. Valla, for joining us today on Disease Du Jour to talk about parasite control in young horses. Ah, it's a pleasure to be here and a perfect topic for this time of year. Absolutely. So let's start in on this important topic about why is parasite control so important in young horses? I think there are a couple reasons. Number one, we know our young horses, foals, weanlings, yearlings, even two-year-olds, are more susceptible to parasitic disease. We're more likely to see clinical disease associated with internal parasites. And also within this age group, we have to deal with what I consider to be the most pathogenic and potentially lethal parasite, and those are the ascarids. And so you put that together and you've got a very susceptible group. In addition, we tend to see a lot of drug classes have maybe less effect in this age group and that egg reappearance period will come back sooner, um, which means they're even more challenging to control parasites with the drugs we have. And so that triad makes them of interest um, for parasite control. And what are the major parasites we're interested in in this age of horses? I would focus number one with control of the parascris species. And we know there are two, a quorum and univalens, but ascrids followed by then small strongyles and tapeworms. And we wanna make sure that whatever we're treating our horses with, we keep large strongyles at bay. But those are the top three, ascrids, small strongyles, and then tapeworms. And I'll mention the other parasite that a lot of practitioners remember uh, pre-ivermectin days, and that's strongyloides. And that's uh, a parasite that can be passed in the milk from dam to foal. And before we knew how to control that parasite, it could cause, it was one of the causes of foal diarrhea. And because there's some lingering fear of that parasite, I find a lot of foals are being dewormed way too young uh, to take care of ascrids or strongyles. And I think some of that goes back to how we used to do it, how we've always done it, and then we never revise what we did. And so a lot of foals are being treated needlessly because of an old fear of strongyloides. But um, my focus really is control your ascrids first, pre-weaning, and then start focusing on small strongyles and tapeworms. And I think the other goal, because we know we've got multi-drug resistant parasites, both among our strongyles and our ascrids, the goal is do more with less. And so try to decrease the number of treatments in that first year of life, but use the drugs that are working against the parasite you're targeting. And that's critical. And that's what owners do not usually have enough information to understand without the help of their vet. And so my overall goal 
is get veterinarians back as the source of information that helps drive parasite control on a farm-by-farm farm basis. And I'm also a firm believer that programs need to be customized to each farm. You cannot deliver a blanket protocol for every breeding farm across the country or every pleasure horse barn. And again, that's where the veterinarian is the critical component. And you and I had talked uh, before we started recording this podcast about how important it is for veterinarians to get back to becoming the source of deworming advice to their owners and basically how to sell what they know, you know, about the parasites, about doing fecals, about what kind of dewormer to use, about risk factors and good basic horse husbandry. Right. And I, I think we always feel like we're competing with Dr. Google these days because, you know, so many of our owners are, are quick to look up everything online, but they also want good scientific information and they want it applied to their farm. And, and that's where we deliver the value. You've, you've got to design a program to control parasites that is effective. And to know whether a program's effective, you have to know when and how to use fecal egg counts and fecal egg count reduction testing. That's the diagnostic assay we hold that we charge for and the knowledge that goes with it. The second is you've got to design a program that's sustainable. If, if it doesn't make sense, if it's overly complex or too expensive, they will not follow it. And they will fall back to what we used to teach them, oh, just rotate every two months with a new drug class. We want to get them out of that mindset. But in turn, we've got to give them something that makes sense and they can afford and they see value in. And then the third component is a parasite control program needs to have two parts chemical use of anthelminthics, and then good common husbandry. And that's where, again, equine veterinarians setting foot on a farm, you can take in pretty quickly what you think your problem's gonna be when it comes to parasites. Do they have a lot of youngsters where you know you're gonna be dealing with higher egg counts, more ascrids, maybe even more strontrile-related issues? Are they overcrowded? Do I have a bunch of different owners doing a bunch of different things? But that's where you also give them guidance on how do you control your pastures, your hay fields, um, how do I target who the high shedders are. Again, that's what you're selling is that farm visit as well as then the fecals. And no computer program is going to replace that. And that's where you build up that relationship with your client. Well, let's go back and do a kind of a quick refresher, maybe, because everybody's been focused on a lot of different things this year, and <laughs> not all of them might have been parasites, but let's, let's go back and just do a refresher for vets to help give them a few talking points with their owners. So let's start with ascrids. Okay. Um, well, a miserable parasite, and I think the owners of any young horse, particularly breeders, need to just appreciate the damage that ascrids can do throughout their life cycle. And so if we begin the, the foal uh, weanling uh, young horse, will ingest a larvated egg. So we have a, an egg with an L2 in it. And once they ingest that, it penetrates their small intestine and either through the lymphatics or venules, it ends up in the liver. It may migrate there for a few days doesn't do too much damage, and then makes its way 
to the lungs. And there the larvae will migrate as L3s for maybe two to three weeks. And in many young weanlings, uh, we see cough, nasal discharge, and fever. And oftentimes the knee-jerk reaction is, I'll oh, put them on some antibiotics, where probably a better decision is, let's do a fecal or let's talk about ascrids. And so I think owners need to understand they can see respiratory disease associated with ascrids, and that may set them up to be more susceptible to other viral and bacterial infections as well. Then those, parents, those larvae are coughed up, swallowed, and then they spend the next a couple months developing in the full small intestine. If they develop a high enough burden, I might have a foal that looks pot-bellied, unthrifty, intermittent colic. And the worst scenario would be that these worms, as they grow to 10 to 12 inches in the small intestine, may actually cause bowel rupture and a fatal peritonitis. And, if, and then you have a dead foal. And this has happened on some very well-managed breeding farms that did not realize they had these drug-resistant roundworms accumulating in their foals. Once it reaches adults, then the parasite or the adult sheds eggs into the environment, and they may take two, three weeks before they're infected. The bad news is those eggs survive hot summers, cold winters, and they can last out there for eight, nine, 10 years. So a breeding farm that has unknowingly been accumulating drug-resistant roundworms on their farm, even if I change their deworming program today, they also have to understand this year's foals are becoming infected with last year's eggs already on the pasture. And that's where telling them some husbandry practices, how to maybe clean up their pastures may help. And so I think owners, once they understand how important it is to control this parasite from lungs to intestine to the pasture will be more susceptible to the recommendation, let's do some fecal egg counts. Let's wait till your foals are old enough that they would even be shedding some eggs. And then let's deworm, come back two weeks later and do another fecal egg count and start figuring out on your farm what drugs work against roundworms. Then I can, now we've got a plan then for future years, when I'm going to deworm and what I'm going to use. And in general, we're finding that we have fairly widespread resistance to both ivermectin and moxidectin among roundworm populations. Not all farms, but the majority. Um, and then the next uh, choice I would have would be strongid or the pyrimidines. And they are genuinely effective uh, on most farms, but strongid only kills the adults that are in the intestine. So they are not going to help if I happen to have a very high burden of larvae in the lungs. And that leaves the last group of dewormers, and those are the benzimidazoles. And you may know them as, fen as fenbendazole, panicure, safeguard, or anthocyde. And depending on the dose I use, um, they are genuine, genu generally effective against the maturing adults in the intestine. If I use a higher dose of fenbendazole for five days in a row, we see larvicidal effect on the larvae in the lungs. So when I look at young horses prior to weaning, 
the two drug classes I'm probably going to rely on and want to test are the benzimidazoles and the pyrimidines or strongids. And I tend to reserve ivermectin and moxidectin as my foal gets a bit older and my focus switches from aspirin control to small strontile control. And what would you say to some of those folks out there who are owners who might have a like me, a little gray in their hair, who'd say, well, gosh, don't, don't foals get this acquired immunity from their dams on ascrids? No, they don't acquire, well, they don't acquire any immunity from their dam. We hope that most youngsters will acquire an age-associated immunity as they get older. And it's not so much their age as probably their exposure to the parasite and their immune system as it matures begins to develop the ability to suppress egg production. But I will tell you that in the last, I'd say five to 10 years, we continue to see disturbing reports of two, three, even four-year-olds that will present for ascrid impaction colics. And we would normally say, what are they doing with you know, ascrids? They should have age-related immunity. And so I think that is a bit baffling is that individual horse that still is shedding ascrid eggs, might their immune system not be um, 100%, might they be immunodeficient, or is the parasite changing and maybe not stimulating the same type of immune response? So I think ascrids need to be on our radar, not just for um, our youngsters under two years of age, but we need to pay attention. And it's another reason to be doing fecals and make sure we're not seeing ascrid show up unexpectedly. And you had mentioned this before when I've heard you speaking on this topic. What should you not do with a foal that you think has a heavy parasite load? Mm. Um, when you've got, and, and often what happens on a big farm is one foal develops a really severe colic and is sent into surgery. They open them up and they find them loaded with ascrids. And so what that tells everybody back on the farm looking at all the other foals, those are ticking time bombs out there with potentially lethal loads of ascrids. And often we find foals will colic with an ascrid impaction shortly after being dewormed, particularly with a few classes of drugs. And that's based on how the dewormers kill. And so we have four, really four major dewormers we look at, benzimidazoles, pyrimidines, ivermectin, and moxidectin, which are macrocyclic lactones. The macrocyclic lactones, ivermectin, moxidectin, and the strongid, all kill rather quickly by slightly different modes of action, but they cause paralysis in the parasite. And so if you can imagine a 10, 12-inch ascrid in the intestinal tract that's writhing around and alive, I kill them quickly and I put them into more of a, a flaccid or rigid paralysis, I can create a mechanical roadblock. And so we find that a lot of foals that are presented with ascrid impactions for surgery have recently been dewormed with one of those three dewormers. And not only might ivermectin and moxidectin not be very effective, but if they do kill some of them, they kill them too quickly, we think. And strongid, Again, it causes a spastic paralysis. So your drug of choice would be the benzimidazoles. And those kill 
a different mechanism. They basically starve the parasite. It's a slower kill. It does not stimulate this rigid paralysis. And we often will recommend um, starting off with half the recommended dose of benzimidazole in a, in a foal we think has a very high um, ascrid population in their intestine. So the standard dose is 10 milligrams per kilogram for any youngster under 18 months of age. And what we would say is, boy, in a, in a case that you think is heavily parasitized, consider giving half that dose. So give the adult dose, which is five milligrams per kilogram. And if I'm really concerned, I would probably oil the foal ahead of time. I'm basically going to pre-treat him to help him pass his aspirin impaction. I might even give him a low dose of banamine to prevent any endotoxic response because when ascrids die, they can create quite an inflammatory response and we see foals look very miserable after eradicating a heavy ascrid load. And then I would give him half the dose of the recommended dose of fenbendazole. And you will see those worms pass in the manure, They're hard to miss. And I might come back then 10 to 12 days to 14 days later and give him the full dose then of fenbendazole, which would be 10 milligrams per kilogram for his age. But that, that's a really important point to make because often if you have one aspirin impaction on a farm, it tells you all of your youngsters might be candidates down the line. Well, that's again, another good reason for veterinarians to be in, in close contact with owners um, about these parasites in young horses. So let's switch and go to small strongyles. Okay. Today's Disease Du Jour podcast is brought to you Panicure Fenbendazole Power Pack. With a unique mode of action, Panicure is tough on the most dangerous parasites of the horse, widely recognized as the product of choice for treating ascrids and the only FDA-approved treatment for all stages of insisted small strongyles. Learn more about Panicure, the science of unique, at MerckAnimalHealthUSA.com. Panicure is not for use in horses intended for human consumption. Refer to manufacturer's label before using. Um, well, as I said, the first, I, I concentrate on roundworms or ascrids pre-weaning. I try to limit my treatments to just two for ascrids. Waiting to the foal is a minimum of two months of age. So maybe two doses prior to weaning. Once I'm getting to that five, six, seven-month-old foal on, now we begin to see, based on the life cycle of the small strongyle, I become more concerned about controlling that population. And now I will probably introduce an ivermectin treatment to control uh, and remember, ivermectin is not larvicidal against the insisted or the small strongyle. And then as my foal gets older, closer to the year of age, I may introduce moxidectin. And moxidectin, if you remember, cannot be used in youngsters less than six months of age. You want to make certain you dose it accordingly. And it has a broad uh, spectrum of activity, say, for ascrids, but a broad spectrum of activity, endoparasites and some ectoparasites. And it also is labeled for insisted small strongyles. Um, and that might be 
So two treatments then from weaning until their yearling year. If I live in a temperate area with some moisture, I probably want to make sure I include a tapeworm treatment in one of those two treatments between weaning and a year of age. So I could either use an ivermectin or a moxidectin compound that has quasiquantil in it. And I have had foals present at seven, eight months of age that have had ileocecal intussusception. So tapeworms can be a problem during the first year, and hence I would add a proziquantel-containing product uh, between weaning and a year of age. And are there any specific diseases in these young horses that are associated with the small strongyles that vets need to talk to owners about? Well, young foals, probably not. And it's another educational opportunity for you to use your fecal exam. And if I wait till I've got some three-month-old foals and I pull a fecal exam, I expect to see maybe a few strongyles, but we really haven't hit the the patent period for a lot of strongyles, I do expect to see astrids. And then as I get slightly older, now I'll start to see the small strongyles uh, egg shedding begin. If I get a very high insisted population in say my yearlings and my two-year-olds, I can start to see ill thrift. Um, I might see some poor doing, um, Occasionally, we say maybe some mild colic. If I have a massive existment of insisted small strongyles, then I can see acute onset of diarrhea, weight loss, hypoproteinemia. Um, in most of our well cared for horse populations over here, we don't see that. Um, so it's more subclinical disease with those small strongyles. Um, so unless there is an overwhelming infection, and we don't even know what percentage of small strongyles spend a lengthy time insisted in our younger horses. And that may also be a function of the parasite and the immune system. And so I'm, I'm, I know they have small strongyles, but I don't think with good nutrition, um, you know, proper husbandry, we're less likely to see really serious signs with small strongyles. We treat for them. We don't want to let a huge burden accumulate, um, but they are less likely to be as lethal as the ascrids. And I typically will rotate between the two drugs that are labeled as uh, effective against insisted small strongyles. And so that would be the larvicidal dose of fenbendazole, which is 10 milligrams per kilogram once a day for five days in a row, or moxidectin. And I might, as I said, incorporate moxidectin uh, at the end of that first year of life. I am going to want to be certain to include a treatment for insisted small strongyles, though, for my yearlings and my two-year-olds. And so my next treatment that for insisted small strongyles, I might give, say, in the fall of that yearling year, I would probably switch it up and use larvicidal fenbendazole. I think we have to be smart in the drugs we use. And if we become overly dependent on any one drug class, we are simply adding additional selection pressure to the parasite. The more I show a parasite one drug over and over and over again, 
the challenge for nature and for the parasite is figure out how to survive. And whatever parasite survives that constant treatment, they'll be the ones that reproduce and shed drug-resistant eggs back on the pasture. And so I think we, we need to be um, cautious about how much drug we use and avoid using the same one over and over again, particularly if we have not used a fecal egg count reduction test to know that it's still effective. Otherwise, all we're doing is selecting for more and more resistant worms without really treating the problem. Um, That's a very good point. And again, it, it points to why veterinarians really need to be involved with this. Now let's jump over to large strongiles and the younger horses. Uh, large strongiles are a little bit different in that they have a very long pre-patent period. And so we would not expect to see strongile eggs being shed till well after six months of age, and some do not begin shedding for at least 11 months um, after being ingested. There's no way when you look at a fecal and you see a strongile egg to say, oh, is that a small strongile or a large strongile egg? But we know with our parasitology experts, they will periodically let these eggs develop, and you can then identify the larvae as being small strongiles or large strongiles. And we know for a fact that the overwhelming majority of strongile eggs we see today in well-cared-for horses are all small strongiles. One of the reasons is, and we don't know exactly why, we have not documented any drug resistance among our large strongiles. So the benzimidazole class still works, pyrimidines or strongid are still effective, and ivermectin and moxidectin are still effective. And so we should be grateful for that because in the pre-ivermectin days um, and even the larvicidal fenbendazole days, we would see horses come in for colic due to large strongiles. And when you have a large, not even a large number of them, but when you have large strongiles, the larvae will migrate in the blood vessels that actually innervate or uh, feed the large colon of the horse. And with a large strongile infection, we would see thromboembolic colic and large portions of the large colon would lose blood supply, become ischemic, turn black, necrose, and these horses would come in in acute, extremely painful colics. And often they would die during surgery or they would have so much of their large colon affected it was impossible to reset. And thankfully, we have not seen drug resistance develop to that parasite. So we're always aware of it. Um, but even if I deworm adult horses twice a year, I should keep large strongiles at bay. So I rarely recommend going to less than two treatments a year, even for adult horses, because large strongiles are always in the back of my mind. Okay, that's a really good point. And, a, and a, again, one that veterinarians should uh, make sure to keep in mind when they're, they're counseling their horse owners. Now let's discuss tapeworms. We know they're tough to diagnose. So what should veterinarians be looking at for this for horse owners? I think you almost have to have an index of suspicion that tapeworms are most likely acquired out on pasture. We know they have a little bit more complicated life cycle in that once tapeworm eggs are passed in the manure 
and they are intermittently shed. So I could have a tapeworm infection, take a fecal one day, and do, again, they're hard to pick up in the, in the routine fecal, so I might miss them because of the fecal, I'm, the, the fecal test I'm using. I might miss them because they just don't happen to be shed that day. But once they're shed in the manure, they then have to, uh, they're ingested by mites that are present in the soil, and they develop for two to four months in the mites, and then the horse inadvertently ingests the mite while grazing, and then they undergo two to four months of additional uh, development in the horse, and they tend to like to attach right around the area of the ileal fecal junction, so where the small intestine meets the, the cecum. And that's kind of a special little ileal fecal junction, and if you get enough of these tapeworms attaching, they cause inflammation, they can disrupt motility, and they can cause what we call an ileocecal intussusception, another cause of colic. Um, they also have been associated with spasmodic or intermittent colic. And sometimes that's anecdotal because it's very hard to confirm it with tapeworms. We know that tapeworms like temperate climates and they like a little bit of moisture. So you're unlikely to see tapeworms in horses, for example, that live in the desert or live in really dry, arid, dusty conditions. But just about everywhere else in the country, we usually recommend including a treatment for grazing horses at least once a year, something that is effective against tapeworms. And so I mentioned praziquantel, and that can be given. It's not, it's not available by itself, but it can be given with ivermectin or it's given in combination with moxidectin. And the other treatment that you can use for tapeworms is a double dose of strongid. And that too has been shown to be effective against tapeworms. And so typically, we recommend a treatment for tapeworms at the end of the grazing season. So we've kind of given them spring, summer, fall, that if they ingested those tapeworm-laden mites and say spring and summer and another two to four or five months for them to develop. We're likely to have adults in the fall. Let's kill them. We're going into the winter months. The horses are unlikely to be re-exposed to mites out on snow-covered pasture. And so that's kind of been the rationale. Um, if we think we've got a serious tapeworm problem, we may deworm for tapeworms in the fall and maybe again uh, at the end of the grazing season in the spring but typically once is enough. Okay, and, and we've talked several times during this podcast about fecal egg counts. And how would you recommend that a veterinarian get a horse owner to start using fecal egg counts and what's available out there for him to use? Um, great question. Not a very sexy diagnostic test, but it's, it's what we've got right now. And if done properly, can give us a lot of descriptive information as well as some quantitative. Generally, folks use either the McMaster's technique, which does not involve uh, centrifugation, or they use a modified Wisconsin or Stoll technique that does involve both flotation but also centrifugation. And in general, the modified Wisconsin or Stoll's tends to be more sensitive in that it will detect a very low 
number of eggs even down to zero to five eggs per gram. The McMaster's technique, depending on which version you use, may be sensitive down to 25 to 50 eggs per gram. You can run either one of those tests in your clinic, um, or you can send them out. The thing about sending them out, yes, it's easy, but it adds an additional cost because the clinic will be charged, and then that charge you will, you know, obviously add on something to the client. And if we make the fecal too expensive, they will never use it. And so I, I urge clinics that they can bring some of this in-house, train one or two technicians to run these. Um, it makes them more cost effective. So I can use either one, recognizing its limitation. I introduce the fecal to the client. If I have mature horses, we know for a fact that only 10 to 20% of mature, healthy horses are shedding 80, 90% of the parasite eggs out there. So it's only about 10 to 20% that are genetically more susceptible to, say, small strongyles. I need to identify those high shedders so that I can target more frequent treatments for those horses and only those horses. So I may treat them a couple times in the spring, early summer, and I may treat them a couple times in late summer into fall. That means that an owner's, say, group of horses, 80, 90% of them are what we consider low shedders. I don't find many eggs or any eggs at all when I do a fecal. And I should not be over-treating those, maybe twice a year, spring and end of grazing season in the fall. And I use that as an argument for the owner to save money buying dewormers your horses don't need and spend money on a strategic people. And if you're going to figure out if your horse is a shedder or not, you need to make certain you have not dewormed him uh, for a considerable period of time, depending on the dewormer. Um, Fenbendazole, the benzamidazole, Strongid, they last for about four to five weeks as far as egg depression. So I want to wait at least five to six weeks if that was the last drug I used before I'm going to collect a fecal to check shedding status. If I used ivermectin, I might want to wait at least eight weeks to collect a fecal. And if I use moxidectin, which has the longest egg suppression uh, period, I'm probably going to want to wait at least uh, three months to get that fecal. And the reason is I'm going to get a fecal to figure out the horse's genetic susceptibility, if you will, to parasites. And I want to make sure there are no lingering traces of drugs in the horse's system that will be affecting the egg count. I want the egg count to be reflected of the horse's immune system and not the last dewormer that they gave. And sometimes that's where veterinarians may not communicate accurately when they want a fecal. And it all depends what are you getting a fecal for. If it's to determine egg shedding status, you dictate when the client collects the fecal. And it has to be long after the last drug was used. And I like to get fecals when there are parasites on the pasture. I want that horse's immune system being challenged. So I don't want to get a fecal in the dead of winter. I'd rather get a fecal, say, 
midway into spring. I know I've got parasites on the pasture. If I get a low egg count, I know that horse has been challenged with parasites while he's grazing. And if his fecal egg counts low, I believe he's a low shedder. Or I could get a fecal in the fall, same reason. So if it's for shedding status, I don't have to do that year after year. Usually I say repeat it twice on any one horse and they don't tend to change unless something happens to their immune system. If they're a low shedder, they tend to remain a low shedder. So again, I'm not charging a client every year to check shedding status. What I can then do is say, all right, here are your high shedders. We're gonna take a closer look at those. They're more likely to show you disease potentially due to parasites, and they're certainly the ones contaminating your pasture. So let's do a fecal and let's figure out which of my drug classes work to reduce their egg count. So I might do two fecals, a fecal before I treat and a fecal two weeks later. So it's strategically give the owner a reason why you're doing the fecal, then you dictate when they collect the fecal and drop it off. They should also make sure the fecal is in an airtight bag. So collect one or two fecal balls, they don't need a handful, um, in a zip, like a Ziploc baggie, get all the air out. And if they can't drop it off at the clinic, make sure they refrigerate it and before they drop it off. And then you can hold those samples in your refrigerator for up to five to seven days. So you don't have to be taking time to do one fecal at a time. You know, we kid and say, make it fecal Friday, but you could collect samples all week long and then you can make the most use of your time or your technician's time by processing fecals all on one day. And, and so that, that kind of makes sense. In the breeding operation, I'm gonna use fecals in the folds to figure out what drugs work against my roundworm and then what drugs work in the older foal against strong child. Well, that's a good point. Now, how does, how does a veterinarian explain a fecal egg count reduction test and, and when they should use that for horses? Uh, I think what we're trying to get owners to understand is you know, what's meant by drug resistance. We, we kind of know what that would be if you're trying to treat my sinus infection and after 10 days of antibiotics, I still have a sinus infection. Hmm, chances are I was on the wrong antibiotic we need to get them to look at deworming the same way. And it's not as easy as looking at the horse to know whether the drug worked or not. And so we wanna get a fecal. And if the horse is shedding eggs, and we usually say 200 eggs per gram or higher, we would use them for a fecal egg count reduction. Because we know fecal egg counts will vary throughout the day, same horse, even if I take a sample from different piles of the manure. So there's some variability, that's, that's not a, a hard and fast number, but it's an average. If I have a horse that's shedding at least 200 eggs per gram, I go ahead and deworm him. And each drug class has an expected level of efficacy. So if I deworm with ivermectin or moxidectin or Quest, I expect those two drugs to decrease my egg count by at least 95 to 98% which means it should take it almost to zero in every case. If I don't see that and I collect my sample two weeks after I use the drug and then I do another egg count and I compare my pre and my post egg count. And if I haven't seen a 90 to 95% reduction in my Strontrial egg count, 
I start to become suspicious of resistance. The threshold is a little different for the benzimidazoles. We say we expect a 90% reduction. And for strongid, some say an 85 to 90% reduction. So we do hold the different drug classes to slightly different thresholds, and that's important to know. And, and if I we want start to bounce back a little bit to our younger uh, horses and talk a little bit about parasite control in broodmares and how that can help. Uh, this is huge. And, you know, we, we want to think about parasite control beginning for our foals by good parasite control in the broodmare. Because number one, they're the ones contaminating the environment that the foal is going to grow up in, either in the stall as well as out on pasture. And I think the other thing we always watch foals do is they love to chow down on mom's manure. And so they, it's, that's a normal way for them to inoculate their intestinal tract, but it's also a great way for them to be exposed to parasites. And so I usually recommend that pay attention to the broodmare's deworming history and when she's dewormed either just prior, prior to foaling or one or two days after. I use a product that broad spectrum and also one known to get strongyloides westeri. And so strongyloides is the parasite that can be passed from dam to offspring in the milk. It can also be picked up in the environment. And so if we're worried about strongyloides having a potential to cause any type of diarrhea, I'd rather take care of it in the mare and not treat the very young foal. And fortunately, ivermectin is a great drug, um, very effective against strongyloides. And so you have an option. Ivermectin can last six to eight weeks. Uh, you may either deworm the mare prior to foaling, maybe the month prior to foaling, or what is still quite common practice is once your mare is foaled and she's passed her placenta, you know she hasn't had any periparturient complications, she's eating, no colic, I often will deworm her then with ivermectin. And I, in essence, consider that the foal's first deworming. I'm deworming its dam. I'm taking care of any lingering fears about strongyloides. And I don't need to be giving drugs to my foal until they're two to three months of age. Um, now, some folks will use moxidectin. Moxidectin, again, has a much longer egg reappearance period. So I might be able to give that four to six weeks prior to foaling. And I will still have an effect during those first few weeks after foaling. What I want is to control the eggs my broodmare is shedding after she folds. And I want to make sure I'm using a product effective against strongyloides. And then I can feel a little more comfortable about my newborn foal and what they're being exposed to. And the other thing that goes along with that is good general husbandry. And there are some breeding farms that just have too many mare foal bands on too little pasture. And that's a problem. And chemicals can't overcome that problem. Um, spreading out the herd can, if that's not possible, I urge them to have twice a week manure pickup in the common loafing areas for mares and foals. And we all see the big trees that they like to hang out under or by the water sources or by certain gates. And if we can pick up manure, and this is true for all age horses, you can remove manure at least twice a week 
we haven't given the parasite eggs that have just been passed in the manure to have enough time to develop to the infective stage. Because when, when a horse defecates, the eggs in that manure are not instantly infective for the next horse that might graze beside that manure pack. And so while it's not sexy, um, picking up manure on a regular basis, it's not only good hygiene, it's one of the basics of parasite control. And that may be one of the only other things you can add on when you've got a farm that's just got way too many horses for the amount of land they have, and they're not going to change that. Well, I think you've given veterinarians some great refresher on parasites in young horses, as well as giving some good talking points on trying to reclaim some of this business with their horse owners. Is there anything else that you wanted to add, Dr. Vala? Just that I encourage veterinarians to get back involved. There, there are some new diagnostics on the horizon that might give us a few more tools. Um, there are some tests, potentially some DNA PCR testing that will allow us to periodically test specifically for Strontulus vulgaris or the large Strontile. Um, they're working on some tests that might be able to give us an idea of how many insisted small Strontiles there are in a, in a horse right now. If they're insisted, they're not shedding eggs, so we have no idea of the number. That may come along. Um, and there are some more rapid uh, fecal egg count, automated fecal egg count uh, devices that are uh, in development and, and just reaching the market now. And so we may make it easier for clinics to do these fecal egg counts in, you know, in-house and help keep it more affordable so they can uh, market these the way they should be used. Well, thank you, Dr. Vala, for being our guest today on uh, Disease Du Jour. And thank you to our listeners for joining us today. And a special thanks to our 2020 sponsor, Merck Animal Health. Please listen, rate, and review future and previous episodes of Disease Du Jour on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast platform. You can follow Equimanagement on Facebook or send me an email at kbrown at aimmedia.com. Disease Du Jour is a production of the Equine Podcast Network, an entity of the Equine Network. <laughs>